<laughs> Welcome to Access to Justice. I'm your host, Heather Malarick of Merrick Law. Uh, I'm joined today by my co-host, Evan Clark of Kahane Law. Hey, Evan, how you doing? Hey, Heather, I'm doing good, thanks. Um, yeah, just enjoying our descent into the winter. It's pretty much here, so... Winter, what? Pretty much here? Well, I mean, yeah, we are on the slippery slide down, aren't we? I'm looking outside. It's overcast. The wind is just whipping the trees around. Uh, yeah, there's yellow things falling from the trees. Yeah, it's true. I think it's, it's 20, 20, it's over 20 degrees there. <laughs> Still warm. Yeah. Well. I'm going to hang on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're also joined today by Kim McDonald, uh, our very special guest. Uh, Kim is a financial advisor and insurance advisor with Raymond James Limited. How are you doing, Kim? I'm panicking. I'm panicking with what Evan's talking about because I need to put stucco on my garage that I just built and it can't go below zero degrees to get it on. There's a very limited time I think I've got to get this done and without uh, making a big, big fat mess. So Evan's, Evan's making me, giving me anxiety right now. So um, concrete products take 28 days to cure, generally speaking. Um, so does it have to stay above zero the entire time it's curing just no. when you're applying it? I think so. I think well, for, you're within fine. like a few days. You're fine. But overnight, right? Like there's the risk. There's the risk. Anyways, right. Right. I'm sure it'll all work out or it won't. Whatever. This is life. Uh, you I'm doing yourself great. are putting the stucco on? Like you're out there? <laughs> no. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> Kim has hired someone to do that for her. <laughs> I was, I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping you were doing it. But. Um, nice to see you guys. Yeah. Nice to see you both too. Um, we are pleased to welcome today's guest, Dustin Kachuk of, uh, oh my goodness, why am I blanking on your firm name? Lawrence and Kachuk. You got it. Kachuk. It's Kachuk. It's technically Kachuk, yeah. A little tidbit, I think any Ukrainian name in the Cyrillic alphabet would be Chuk in uh -huh. Ukrainian. Uh -huh. And then when it becomes anglicized, much easier to say Chuk, so. Yeah, and I'm going to apologize for that because I've always called you Kachuk. And then the um, hockey playoffs, I became so in, in, involved in hating um, Mr. Kachuk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've re I retrained my brain, so now I've got to retrain it back. How are you doing, Dustin? It's so lovely to have you here. I'm doing very well. I actually think this is kind of like the best month of the year because you can still get the over uh, 20 temperatures. I was on a paddleboard on the uh, North Saskatchewan on Sunday. It was like 28. And then, you know, it gets kind of cool enough at night now. You can kind of go in the hot tub. So uh, it will soon be winter, we know, but I'm hanging on to September. And like Kim, I have some garage work to do myself and I've been putting it off. So thanks, Evan. I'll get on that uh, as soon as I get home from work today. Yeah, no, you're right. It is the, September is the sweet spot and it's better than spring because spring is like, well, it's warming up. There's always that threat of a blizzard at any given moment, but it's less likely. It's not impossible. It's less likely in September. So I agree with you. It's, it's kind of the sweet spot. And things are green in the fall still, whereas in the spring, they're often like brown and yeah, yucky yeah. for quite a time. Yeah, don't see Edmonton for your first time in like March or April. It's not going to 
look too hot. No, no, she's not cutting the prettiest <laughs> picture <laughs> in those months. Yeah. Um, well, for our listeners who don't know Dustin, um, Dustin's a family lawyer in Edmonton, Alberta, and he was called to bar in 2005. So he brings a wealth of experience to today's conversation. Dustin is primarily a family lawyer, but also does real estate and wills and estates. Um, and in his spare time, I know you have a passion for music, hiking, and your family. Those are all true. Anything else you want to add uh, about yourself to, for our listeners, Dustin? No, I think that that captures it. I was uh, actually met you, Heather, as you know, and um, other people might not know. We worked together for about six years at Legal Aid. Uh, and uh, partner, Crystal Lawrence, of my firm worked there as well. And we went out in uh, 2016, I think, to form our own firm and, and private practice now and enjoying life. So, wow. yeah, life is good. Yeah. Living the dream is, might be a stretch, but the life is good. So, <laughs> Heather, so, Heather, did you follow in his footsteps or were you first to leave and start? Well, Dustin and Crystal were first, although I, I don't know if we if, if it's raw, it probably doesn't even matter at this point to, uh, you know, say that we were we were all sort of looking at options all at the same time. But um, Dustin and Crystal moved a little more quickly. And um, yeah, we, we were the guinea pigs, I guess, to see if we we're going to crash and burn and when we were OK. I think everybody right. else is like, this is a thing that we can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so Dustin, uh, what about uh, tell me a little bit about uh your passion for music that heather mentioned yeah I, you know i'm in my mid-40s and still try and think i can figure out what's cool in terms of music so i spend time on you know music blogs listening to new bands and stuff and still can't resist the sort of old man like music was better when i was younger but uh i, yeah. I, I try every day to listen to new stuff and i used to be in a little dinky garage band uh kind of in my early 20s just uh uh, well, mostly literally just being in the garage or parents' basement. Uh, it was a good way to kind of uh, uh, waste time, stay out of trouble. And I still kind of occasionally play guitar, but but uh, other responsibilities, uh, you know, parenthood and that kind of stuff get got in the way. So still still play once in a while. But uh, yeah, I try and listen to music every day. You know, walking the dogs uh, on the way to work, that kind of thing. Nice. So you're you're a guitar guy. I'm a guitar guy. I enjoyed Folk Fest this year. I, uh, the Nationals headlining, uh, I think, on the Saturday night. And I was like, this is awesome. I think it might be a bit too rocky for some of the Folk Fest crowd because, you know, there's some some yelling and some distorted guitar. And I, I was like, yeah, this is, this is my jam. More like this, Folk Fest. <laughs> and uh, do you have a, a good-sized guitar collection or just a few trusted axes or what? Uh, just a, I just got I'm down to one electric and one acoustic, so nothing too fancy. You a guitar guy yourself, Evan? Yeah, I've been playing guitar since I was just a young lad of six years old. Awesome. I should be much better since I started so young, <laughs> and I am, but um, yeah, yeah. I've got, I, got a, I, I'm not really a collector per se. I, I have guitars that are that have like function for me, um, so I don't have a ton, but just have a, a small handful. It, it's one of those things where I feel like if I started collecting, it could get ugly, you know, really quickly. So fast. So fast. Yeah. We had a, a friend of mine on here who is a sex therapist, Michael Sommerfeld, and he uh, he's walking down that path. Which is a beautiful great. but dangerous path, yes. As his friend, it's great for me. I like to watch and see what happens and to touch his guitars. 
it's like it's like when you get a boat, right? You, you don't want to own the boat. You want to have the friend that has the boat. That's so right. Enjoy the that's boat, but not own the boat. Yeah, that's exactly. right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, good. Fantastic. Well, Dustin, today, I think, um, well, let me preface this by saying that I think you're well known in the family bar as being um, a really uh, experienced, knowledgeable, and very calm and reasonable person to deal with. So I was hoping today, maybe you can impart some of those qualities and some of the wisdom and how you stay so cool in the middle of some of these um, difficult family situations with some of our listeners. Um, so uh, I wonder where we should kick off the conversation today. Um, I, I think you'd identify that like maybe a good place to start would be like, what, what first of all, makes, um, makes family matter so hard and, and what might be the hardest part for clients emotionally? Yeah, I mean, you can start start with clients, then I, I guess, you know, sort of get into what, what makes uh, lawyers stressed out and squirm and that kind of thing, too. Uh -huh. um, I, I, I had a temper when I was younger, and so, like, I... People that knew me when I was a kid are kind of surprised that that, that would be the reputation that I have, that I'm this calm guy. But I, I uh, my parents got me into refereeing soccer and basketball to, you know, try and get used to kind of criticism and, and, and getting thick skin and that kind of thing. So I think that helped me. Um, I, you, got, you, know, you got used to people just yelling at you all the time and like second guessing every decision you ever made. That's right. Which, you know, sometimes helps in court, right? You know, you, you have to sometimes make quick decisions and, and sort of be confident in what you say, even if, uh, you know, you're sort of wavering inside. But, you know, for, for family law, you know, I, I tell my clients, you know, roughly speaking, the legal system is, you know, two uh, noblemen originally back a thousand years ago fighting over a piece of land, right? Lots of money, you know, they can throw money at it and spend time on it. And one of them will walk away in the end with the land, one won't, and, and they'll move on and their lives will still be, you know, better than everyone else's. And that's, you know, in some ways what the court system is still like today, you know, as we know, and if you have to litigate, you, you know, you're there to fight the other person. It is what we call an adversarial system. And that doesn't really work with families. You know, we're fighting about children. We're fighting about, uh, you know, matrimonial assets that you're, you know, sort of splitting up your own pie. You're fighting over your own pie and, and, and spending money on lawyers. And so it's, um, it, you know, to really kind of get client expectations in terms of what this is going to look like. It's going to be emotional. These are, you know, people that spent years together, sometimes decades together, you know, and, and so it, it comes with the territory and, and um, you know, this isn't something they teach you in law school really is, is mm -hmm. a lot of client management. That's not just family law. It could apply to other areas of law too, but it's, you know, there's not that kind of practical uh, you're meeting the client, someone's breaking down crying. They can't, you know, finish their testimony because they're too anxious. These are all just sort of things you, you kind of have to uh, work with, you know, through experience. So, I mean, we can uh, you sort of break it down, you know, even more for clients if you want. And, and it sort of depends how far you want to get into this. Like there's court, court, I think is probably the major stressor for them, court and, and sort of money and legal fees and how much will this cost. But even, you know, going to, um, you know, the first meeting with a lawyer, meeting your lawyer, this is the person who's going to, you know, help straighten out your life. What does that look like? Uh, do I know this person? Do I trust this person? How do, uh, you know, how can I rely on, on what they're telling me? And, and, and really our, our time and our advice is, is, you know, our stock and trade, as they say. And so you have to be able to convince people that you're worth spending a fair bit of money on, right? So, uh -huh. um, yeah. So I find, and, 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 you know, anyone practicing family law, um, trying to um, 
help your client understand. Uh, one of the things I find helpful is to say, you know, your life might be really complicated on a day-to-day -day basis. And it kind of sounds like it is, but from a legal perspective, you know, the main issues that we're dealing with here, it's parenting and support is property. We can kind of boil it down to some fairly, you know, simple concepts here. And, and I think part of the issue with the client is they might have things that are very um, relevant, uh, important to them. And you kind of, you don't want to say, look, this isn't important, but you know, it's not important to, you know, discussing it with me and, and sort of uh, moving past, you know, uh, whose fault it was the relationship ended or, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll get clients saying, you, you must think I'm an idiot. And like, I get that probably every week. I'm like, there's mm -hmm. no judgment in this office. I've, mm -hmm. I've heard it all. Every reason for people getting together and splitting up and, and sort of, you know, not much really surprises me anymore. But I think, you know, they're, they're nervous, uh, I think, to be judged, you know, even before you get to the judge judging you it's it's your own lawyer judging you what are they going to think of me am i going to sound stupid or my fear is going to sound you know reasonable and so it's a lot of um you know sort of active listening and and um being engaged with them and, and you know acknowledging what they're they're, they're telling you um and, and trying to uh you know drill down and say you know we can work through this nothing that you've told me is is you know sort of impossible to achieve and then you you have to kind of uh, you know go through the uh the cost and time and the stress and that kind of thing and, and uh, figure out, um, you know, what has to happen here overall, what's the most important, what's the bottom line, so to speak, that they, you know, they can kind of uh, walk away with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, I guess, aspects in there that um, to talk about a family law file that are probably pretty private for a lot of folks, right? I think you mentioned, you know, reasons for why the relationship broke down. Um, so those are things that were working or not working well in the relationship, probably concerns or worries about parenting, um, laying finances bare <laughs> to a person you've just met. Right. Um, and all of that entails whether, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. That's what I always I say, sort of say to clients. And, and, and I, I try and convince that same message too. I, I need to know all the information that's relevant and it's not, um, I'm not going to judge you for it, but I need to know it so I can give you good legal advice and a good plan forward. So um, I guess is there, I mean, I guess listening to this and knowing the kind of information that they'll have to share coming into a lawyer's office to start off with is might just be helpful preparation. Um yeah, when you get the you know the intake forms or intake forms, and 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 you'll get some good information there if the client if they fill them out correctly, or or, or you know bother you know checking yeah. their email for them. Sometimes they don't, and that's fine. But I, at least I'll get some expectation. You know, we we do try and make it clear that you know the financial disclosure is standard in every file. Both parties are going to be doing this. You know, that it's not like we're going to be putting this stuff up on Facebook or TikTok or whatever and showing people your you know your your bank accounts and that kind of thing. Uh, sorry, I have anyone to chip, chime in? Yeah, I think I think clients um, often don't realize that we have what we call a no-fault divorce system here in Canada, and so um, I certainly have had clients where they they want to tell me about the situation in like what caused the divorce because they want you know, and then and therefore I should get you know that should be a factor. But I love it when I have no idea why they broke up. That's my favorite. Yep. Because I mean, I actually don't need to know. And, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, and 
the thing is that can be one of the most embarrassing parts about a divorce, right. Is, is whatever happened. Because even if, if there was infidelity, for example, if you were the one that cheated, that, that could be embarrassing. If you were the one that were cheated on, that could be humiliating. And so maybe it's, maybe it can bring some comfort to people before they go to see a lawyer. If they're watching this, that, Hey, your lawyer doesn't actually care or want to know why you broke up. They just want to help you navigate the consequences of the breakup. Absolutely. And, and, and the corollary to that too is, you know, can the other person stop me from getting divorced? Well, well, no, I mean, that's, you know, sometimes people are upset to hear that the divorce is usually the last thing we, we get done at the end. And it's really procedural from our point of view. And, and we, you know, we need a justice to sign off and, and that's uh, all we really need. But, you know, there, there are, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's good to know that. And, and, but also sometimes I think clients feel like they have to justify to you, this is why I'm getting divorced. Oh, okay. But it, it doesn't matter to me. You know, you can have no reason. It can just be the expiry date in the relationship. There could be, you know, terrible reasons. I, I agree with you. It's it's not relevant. I, I will say, and, and I think on the, the files where it's fairly clear, it's going to be pretty amicable, um, you know, there's mediation or collaborative law or, or, or you know, we've got a, uh, you know, already sort of a drafted separation agreement we think we're going to actually execute pretty quickly. I mean, those types of straightforward files, I agree with you. This is, you know, here's the legal issues. Here's the advice you need to kind of make a rational decision on this. But no, we don't need to get into the details, you know, unless you feel like telling me something. Litigation files, I, I find I will usually ask a few questions just to kind of connect the dots, um, you know, in the background to get a sense of what's going on here. Sometimes people will think, um, you know, we're, we're going to do a settlement meeting next week. Um, you know, if people are kind of equal partners at the table. That's a lot easier. And people might think they are. And you get some background and say, okay, well, is there some, you know, slight power imbalance here that, that I have to kind of keep in the back of my mind? And I, and I think, you know, you've got, uh, the clients, there's sort of a spectrum of the clients like, they must pay, I need my day in court, I want to fight. And then the clients are like, no, no, I just want it over with, I don't care, to the point where, you know, they might take a deal that you'd say, you know, this is sort of beyond the, the minimum, you know, in terms of the range we're looking at, I don't think you should do this. And so I, I find in terms of, uh, more in litigation, I think, but in, in terms of your approach to the client, um, I think it is to see, um they, they might say they want to fight. Maybe they don't actually need to once we get you know into the legal issues and say, okay, I think you guys are actually pretty close. The, the agreements that you have sort of, or the disagreements blow up, but, but in terms of legal issues, they're minor. I, I had a client just recently who's, it was sort of a very kind of engineer, black and white. This is a principle. We have to kind of go for it. And and I sort of, you know, we got to, let's reduce conflict here. Let's try and avoid litigation. And, and you know, we're, a couple of years later, we're, we're still sort of finalizing everything. But he said, you know, I really appreciate that you managed to kind of get me off this adversarial litigation track and see that, that you know, there's a way to, to with, with, with fighting about children and things like that, that you can get get there without fighting. And on the other hand, I had a, I had a client where, you know, I had to kind of tell her, look, I, let me kind of fight this for you because I don't think you can, but I think we can get there together. Right. So it's, it's, it, it sort of depends on the file, depends on the situation. Um, I, I bring up uh, uh, sort of gently, if I can, you know, were there any issues of domestic violence? I mean, it's, it's on the intake form. Does it get checked off? If, if it does, then I will talk about it. If it's not uh, men and women, I've started to ask that question in, in almost every file. Certainly if there's litigation for sure, uh, especially with the Divorce Act changes now when they talk about sort of a wider range of what they call family violence, you know, financial abuse and, and emotional abuse and that kind of thing. And again, you know, I, I tell people I'm not trying to pry, but but this might 
be something that you didn't think was necessarily going to you know, be relevant that I might say, okay, well, now I, I kind of understand the background here, why there's certain things that, you know, you're uh, maybe fixated on that I didn't think were that important. And, and it helps me to kind of resolve that with them to say, you know, I, I get this, I hear where you're coming from. And now let's kind of move on to what, you know, what we can actually, uh, you know, accomplish. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, domestic violence is maybe the one exception that, that may be related to the relationship breakdown that can be relevant for part of the process, at least. Right. Yeah. 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 And sometimes those circumstances just sort of, yeah, I guess give context to the dynamics that are going on. So they might not be legally relevant, but they can be I guess, strategically relevant or help you understand where the client's coming from sometimes if they're, like you said, Dustin, sometimes so eager <laughs> to resolution or um, the opposite end, right? They just don't want to put down the sword and, um, and yeah, it can be helpful to give a little bit of, um, yeah, some of the context around that. Yeah. So difficulty number one for clients. Opening up to the lawyer, opening up to the lawyer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if, I mean, going on from there, I, I mean, I think that, um, it, again, it depends and you're going to sort of experience more problems in litigation files. So I guess we'll, I'll sort of assume we're talking more about issues where you're going to court. And that's all, also the, you know, the, the, I think the biggest fear for the client, what does it mean? Uh, what does going to court mean? Is the judge going to yell at me? Am I going to have to talk to the judge? What, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of areas there we could get into in terms of court. Um, I was thinking about this, you know, even the perception sometimes that I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a friendly guy. And, and especially when we were still, you know, doing court in person, I'd see a lawyer there, see Heather there, and we'd have a file together and say, hey, go over and have a smile on my face and sit down mm -hmm. next to her and kind of chat. And mm -hmm. the client's like, why were you talking to the other lawyer? Ah, oh. then it's even worse because of course we refer to each other as my friend when we're, you know, presenting before the court. And so that also confuses the heck out of clients. You right. told me this was an adversarial system and now you're calling the other lawyer a friend. What does that mean? I'm like, okay, great. So, so there's definitely some explaining that kind of goes into this, you know, to tell the client, this is what it's going to look like. It's not like, unfortunately, life is not like Ellie McBeal. You know, we're pretty civilized most of the time and, and not too much drama. Sometimes there is, and some, some, you know, lawyers get, get kind of carried away and we can kind of, you know, touch base on that later, but it's, you know, I, I think, um, getting the client to understand most of the time court's pretty boring and pretty procedural and we're prepared and, and it's, you know, it's not going to be uh, certainly none of the sort of minor applications and, you know, chambers, that kind of thing, special chambers are fairly straightforward. It's not going to be some, you know, melodramatic, uh, you know, courtroom scene. Um, I mean, sometimes you do get some unexpected outbursts and things like that. There, there, there's no doubt there, but I, so, you know, for clients, so that's the other thing, court's expensive, you know, what are the expectations and, and, you know, you you'll get people asking you what kind of, are you, are you like a shark? Are you, you know, a real, you know, litigator? I'm like, well, no, if that's who you want, I can probably send you to, <laughs> to a few people I like that, that are like that and, and uh -huh. enjoy going to court and, and really get into that. But, you know, um, and, and trying to explain the concept of what does winning versus losing mean in family, right? And going back to, you know, if you're fighting over a piece of land, great. Someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. Maybe they, they cut the piece of land in half, so to speak, but you know, winning in, in, in family law, I, mean, I had a, a file where um, a lady was bringing a guardianship application for her nephew and it was going to have to go to trial and went through the process. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to testify. You'll get cross-examined. She's going to have to testify. You know, it's we're kind of there to say, this is why you need to be a guardian because the other person maybe isn't the best parent. And, you know, kind of two days before the trial, she said, you know, I don't, 
I don't want to go through with this because I think even if I win and become a guardian, the relationship will be damaged and it might be sort of harder going forward. And and so she kind of just abandoned her claim. And I said, you know, I, I appreciate that. That's the difficulty sometimes is we're there to fight. These people have relationships that are ongoing. And so, you know, going through that with a client, what are you trying to accomplish here? Uh, you know, what, what's, what's the best interest of the children? What's, you know, appropriate support, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, there's some, um, confusion sometime on the part of the client in terms of sort of, I guess, the, the role of the court and the role of the lawyer and, and that kind of thing. You know, I don't think I've ever heard a lawyer that, um, you know, was someone that I respected. I like, oh, this is a good lawyer, refer to themselves as being a shark or like somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I just can get in there and I'm going to, you know, so I don't know. Um, Cause you know, that is something often we hear from clients. I mean, what do you, what do you have to say about that? Like, why, why is that? Do you think that they want that? And then is that actually what they want? Do you, or, you know, is it, is it better to, to not be really kind of um, contrary, even in the court system? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great point, and and, and I you know a lot I was talking about Ellie McBeal and, and you know sort of flippantly, but I you know I think I would say from my experience with the American system, it's a bit more um, dramatic, you know, maybe not sort of fist pounding on the table kind of thing, but you, you'll get sort of more uh, dramatic presentation. Where obviously we all, all us lawyers know that we kind of take after the British tradition, referring to each other as my friend, my lord, my lady. Oh, that's you know starting to get outdated a little bit, um, but but the um, the idea of um, your reputation um, maybe has some value um, and the lawyers understand this and the judges understand this and they used to be lawyers, obviously, but for the client to understand, you know, you don't need me to be there pounding on the table for you. That's not going to convince the court. They need to rule on evidence. And, and some people do want that, that bulldog or that shark to be litigious. And sometimes there is a fight and sometimes there's, there's hurt feelings there. Um, and, and it's, um, people talk about it being, you know, it's the principle of the thing. Uh, and then you say, here's what my hourly rate is. Here's how long it's going to take to get to court. And by the way, when we go in front of the judge, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. We've got about a 50, 50 chance. Right. So then is it still the principle? And for some people it is, you know, for some people it, mm-hmm. there is some, you know, some emotional and psychological, value that we might not see as sort of a rational, you know, bystander say, what, why are you taking this all the way? Um, But because they need to, they, for this one time, you know, they can't give in, they need to, even if they lose, they're not giving in. Right. And so that's, you know, you don't want to take things to court that don't have a reasonable chance of success. Um, I I don't think the court appreciates that. And and as a lawyer, you know, you're thinking about your profession, you're thinking about your colleagues and, and, you know, you don't want to be labeled as somebody who's, you know, will just kind of take anything to the courts, you know, for, for a dollar. And, 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 uh, but, but the client perspective, I think is I need someone who's going to fight for me. Well, I'll, I'll I'll fight for you. I'll just do it in maybe more of like a Jedi like way that then you're expecting and not, you know, not sort of yelling and screaming. So. (laughs) Right. I like that. A Jedi way. <laughs> Not the Sith way. No. <laughs> Although sometimes it would be fun, you know, just sort of bash, bash your keyboard. And mm-hmm. Sometimes we lose our tempers, but, uh, and that's, you know, I think that I think just going back to, um, you know, what I was saying about, you know, seeing somebody like Heather at the courthouse and saying, Hey, you know, and, and being happy to see them and, and telling the client, you know, these are my colleagues and, and some of them, yes, I am friends with and we're all professional. We have to do our best for 
uh, you know, for our clients. And, and sometimes, you know, you, um, I've had clients that um, would left me or fired me because they thought maybe I was too close to the other lawyer. And again, that's that perception. Well, you're not really fighting for me. I'm like, oh, no, no. I'm prepared. Like we're, we're ready to take this. I got my arguments. I think we're good to go with the court, but it's, it's that yeah. perception. That, and we, and, and sometimes, you know, I forget to tell clients that. And so when they go into court and, and, you know, see me being collegial and, and, and the other lawyers and, Oh, you guys are laughing and joking. And like, well, you know, we've, <laughs> we're going to be sitting here for three hours and, and there's not yeah. much we can do. So we'll, you know, we'll yeah. shut up, you know, go for a coffee after. And, and just explaining to clients sometimes, you know, these are colleagues that I will be working with, you know, for years to come. You know, the family bar is still, it's, I think, probably bigger than when I started, but it's still pretty small in the city and, and the outlying areas. And, and most of the specialists, we see each other, you know, every every few weeks or months. And so it's just good to have that working relationship. And, and you know, to for the client to understand, if I have a good working relationship with the lawyer, sometimes the negotiation goes more smoothly, right? And and so that's, sometimes the clients don't understand that. You're a hired gun, you're there to, to do, you know, what I tell you, and I want you to go fight for me. And okay. Some some can understand pretty quickly after a two minute conversation how that works, and some just they and and you know and and the feel needs to be right too. And and I I usually tell clients at the first meeting, you know, if if you you know if you'd be if they're mayor, man or woman, or, you know, would you feel more comfortable with a female lawyer? I got thick skin; it's not going to hurt my feelings. Right. You need to have someone that you're comfortable with because you know even if we don't get into the, the you know the sort of sorted details of their lives, so to speak, you know, I, I think we they still have to trust us and say, okay, this I. I accept this person's advice. I accept this person's going to help me. And so if, if the, if the fit's not right and, and people do need different personalities, right? So as I say, you, you know, some clients want to fight, some clients don't want to fight and, and you can sort of shift your role as a lawyer, but they need that kind of impression from you to, to fit with, with, I guess what they want. Yeah. I, I agree with all that. I think it would probably be a bad sign if like you entered the courtroom with your lawyer and your lawyer starts turning red because they can't stand the side of the other lawyer on the other side. I think that's probably, you know, that's not going to go very well because then now you're dealing with all your lawyer's baggage is now, it's now thrown into the whole thing, which is not ideal. I think you want your lawyer to be clear minded and, and to not be emotionally invested. That's like the whole, one of the, the big things that you're hiring a lawyer for is to somebody who's not emotionally involved in your situation. And if their emotions start getting keyed up because of the lawyer on the other side of the file, you're going to end up paying for that, I would think. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think, you know, if we talk about lawyers staying cool, Evan, I totally agree. You know, it, I don't know. Can, can we talk about this? Is it, you know, it's at least a well-known fact in our field between, you know, colleagues that everyone's kind of got their list, so to speak, of, of the people that they know they're going to have difficulty with. The clients could be great. And you see that lawyer's name, and you're like, oh, man, we just we just don't mesh. There's, there's going to be sparks there. We're all, you know, we're lawyers are often a weird type A, type B mix, and we all like to be right all the time. And, and sometimes that, you know, lends itself to, to conflict between lawyers. But then I, my list is pretty small, but I got to say, even for me, and I'm a, I am a pretty chill guy, I do really enjoy most lawyers and, and even the quirky personalities I find, you know, have, have uh, you know, something to offer. But there, there are a few people where I, you know, I find it so difficult um, and I know it's going to be um, just a grind and the clients can be paying for things that they shouldn't have to. Cause you know, either there's a lack of efficiency or just, um, you know, those people that just want to kind of grind it out and, and, and make as much as they can in terms of legal fees, it's not how I operate, you know, try and get it done efficiently for the client. So they're, they're now at this stage in my career, I, you know, there's a few names, of course, I won't mention, but I'll, I'll tell the client, 
I don't work well with this person and, and we don't mesh. And I'm going to refer you on to a couple of people. I think, you know, we'll, we'll work very well with this lawyer. It's not me. Um, the other side's a good lawyer, but you know, we're going to clash and it's going to end up costing you kind of more time and money and stress because as you say, Evan, like, it's just, it, it, if you're giving their sober second thought and, and all of a sudden you're uh, emotionally invested because of that other lawyer, then, then you're, you're getting off track. You're not going to be uh, as rational and focused and balanced as you're supposed to be. And, and that's really what the court wants for you. They, they don't want that. And they get it, uh, you know, and, and we've all been there and we've all been, uh, you know, turning red a little bit in the courtroom when, when something gets said that you think is, you know, a dig at you or, or, you know, maybe misleading the court and you kind of just have to be professional. And, and, and I, I explained to clients as well, actually, on that point, you know, we are officers of the court. Again, it's just, what, what does that mean? And it's, well, I'm a professional. I'm not just, you know, your lawyer. I'm not just a hired gun. You know, when I'm in the court, I kind of have to, um, you know, be part of the court and, and help the judge understand what's going on. And I, you know, I, I have, you know, decorum and professionalism standards that I have to kind of adhere to. And we're all human. We don't get there every time, but it's it's good for, for the client to understand that too. You know what? I might have to, oh, that lawyer made a mistake. And you know what? I might have to correct them. Because I want the court to understand what's actually going on and not to make an order, even if it favors me, you know, that's that's based on some misapprehension. That's hard for the client to understand. I want to win. We just uh -huh. we, ha we had them there. They made a mistake. I'm like, yeah, you know, they said five million instead of, you know, 50 million. OK, well, you know, let, let's tell the court. No, no, no. That, my friend just slipped up. And that's a tough thing for a client to swallow saying, hey, I'm here to win. I'm paying you a bunch of money. Why are you helping them? I'm like, well, I'm helping the court. Right. I'm not helping them. I'm helping the court. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good point. It's a weird job. <laughs> it is, and yeah. I can just translate for the average listener out there. Uh, doesn't just like very diplomatically described how to say that other person's a total jerk, <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to work with them ever. Uh, but instead, he says it a much nicer way, a much more professional way. But if you hear him say that, you know your uh, significant other has hired a total jerk of a lawyer. That's probably true. <laughs> how, do, how do you know if a lawyer cares about you? If a lawyer cares about you? It positively or negatively, Kim? Positively. So like Evan was talking before about you, you don't want a, a lawyer who's emotionally invested, but I mean, it's human nature. I mean, you can see it with parents and their kids and parents will do anything for their kids because they're emotionally invested. So people know that, right? So they want their lawyer to be on their side, engaged with them. So they have a favorable outcome. And I was sitting here listening to all this going on. And I, I think I'm not a lawyer. I mean, I don't think I know I'm not a lawyer. And I'm wondering as somebody who, let's say I got divorced one day, how, how would I know if my lawyer actually cares about me? Like, what are the tells that they're doing a good job if they're cute, cool as a cucumber and I can't tell if they're, they're you know, with emotions? It's a great, great question. And I, you know, that that is, um, I guess, what did I refer to being, being like a Jedi? I guess you sort of want the Zen type of monk-like calm detachment. But I agree at a certain point, um, it, it, you get too far removed. And, you know, one of the things we talk about in, in, in our profession is what we call compassion fatigue, right? That you, it, it's difficult going through um, all but the sort of most collaborative files that, you know, they're draining. And, and you know, I, I, I'm, I'm mostly an introvert, I would say, you know, lawyers are kind of a weird mix and, and most people aren't exactly one or the other. But, you know, it's, I used to think, well, an introvert meant that I didn't want to go out and talk to people. That's not me. No, it's that, it takes energy, right? And so you start to get drained. And, and if you don't take breaks, um, you, you get to this compassion fatigue point and you kind of do stop caring about the client. 
And, uh, you know, it, you have to kind of, hopefully it sort of have colleagues around one of the dangers I think of being, you know, completely solo practitioners that you need someone to kind of say, like, are you okay? It kind of seems like you're just getting a little gla- you know, glazy eyed here and, 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 you know, sort of dismissing what the client's saying. And so you, you get sort of so far detached. It's like, well, I don't, I don't really care what happens. Well, that's not good. And a judge once told me early in my career, he said, you know, if you ever stop getting nervous, even just a little bit nervous going into court, it means you might have to retire because mm-hmm. it means you don't care. And I was like, Ooh, okay. And I still do get, you know, nervous. You get, everyone gets keyed up. And that's one of the things, of course, you tell your client, the judge will be keyed up. The lawyers will be keyed up. The clients there will be keyed up. But it's, uh, I think if you, if you are dismissing a client's concerns and not listening to them, um, I think that's probably a sign. We, there, there is information we don't need to know. Um, we, we don't necessarily need to know their life story, but when they bring up concerns, if they're just sort of summarily dismissed by, by the lawyer, that's probably a bad sign. Um, at the same time, you know, there's a spectrum for everything. And so if you, just like we talked about, if you have a volatile relationship with the other lawyer, if we're talking about, remember the, the theme is sort of staying cool, I guess, as a lawyer now, we're sort of jumping from, from client to lawyer is you can't get emotionally invested in your client and their outcome to such an extent that again, you start to lose your cool. Mm-hmm. And so you need to be detached and as Evan said, Hey, you're here to provide, you know, that sort of outside advice of someone who's saying from a rational perspective, this is either, this is an acceptable compromise or this is kind of what we need to focus on and kind of move past that. But, you know, we've, we all work better with some, people than others and 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 there's some clients i think i'm probably really good friends with out you know outside of uh, outside of court and outside of my my practice just because we really hit it off and you just have a you know a natural kind of chemistry and, and and same interests or just have a real good dialogue a real good feeling about them and and so do i like those clients better well i, I guess you know can we be honest here i mean if you if you like your client and, and you think they're a neat person or they're they're somebody who's maybe uh you know suffered some some um, bad things that happened to them, uh, you know, or, or got some kind of unjust outcome in the past. Do you maybe you want to work a little bit harder for them, right? And and, <laughs> and and certainly, you know, the part of the attraction, I guess, of when we worked at Legal Aid, I think, was that it was kind of that sort of social justice work, and and um, so compassion fatigue there was you're dealing with um, some pretty difficult clients, a lot of child welfare work where there's people with with. Uh, you know, mental health issues, addictions issues, you know, fetal alcohol kind of issues, that kind of thing, or, or, or just clients that don't have the skills, right. That, that, uh, that they, you know, they, you tell them, don't call me 10 times a week. It's not helpful for anybody. And, you know, they still kind of have to do that. And so that, you know, there was that sort of reward, I think, to, to help people that need that kind of assistance, you know, that's so sort of caring for the client, I guess, you know, I'm here because I care, or I wouldn't be doing, you know, this type of file, you know, I, I do, work is counsel for for children i know uh, jeff keller was on one of the, the previous shows uh, talking about that and that so that's uh you know these are files where the parents are fighting so they're not easy files but it's you know worthwhile you know trying to assist these these children in, in getting kind of a uh, as good an outcome as we can so there's um part of it i think is is i guess in the work that you do um i, I like to stay involved sort of in domestic violence files and emergency protection orders um i have a lot of experience in those files and those are people i think you know I don't need to sort of care about the client beyond they need help in this, you know, difficult situation. So if the client um, doesn't think you care, I, I think that's probably a, an issue, even if you do care. And, you know, how are you, how are you demonstrating that without being, you know, too caught up in their case where, where you, 
get now yourself emotionally invested in the outcome. And, and, you know, we're kind of taught, you know, you're not, yes, fist pumping. If you, if you win your application in court, it's bad form, right? It just looks bad. You want to be kind of a, a good winner and a good loser. And it's easier to do that um, when you're not as invested. I've had times where I've had some, I think pretty bad decisions against me. Um, even if they're not necessarily, you know, at the level where I'd, I'd appeal the decision, I kind of felt like I wasn't heard or I was, you know, dismissed or the judge was, you know, maybe hangry and just needed to grab a bite to eat before hearing our case. I don't know. But it, and the clients, you know, understandably upset after what, what you know, what happened. Well, how, what happened? Why did we lose? Why didn't they, you know, why didn't they listen to what you were saying? And so, you know, if you're emotionally invested and you care too much, then you will be upset too. And and we all get there. We all have files where um, it, it's it, some some wins are more important than others, I guess. And then that's how you kind of navigate that yourself through through experience. Again, not stuff that you get taught in, in law school. You kind of just have mm-hmm. to go through the process as a lawyer. You know, Kim, I would answer it a little bit differently. I would say it doesn't matter so much about whether the client cares or whether the lawyer cares about you or not. I would say, are they responsive to you? Right? Do they do they hear what you're saying? Do they understand? Um and like, do you, do they communicate well with you? And when they advocate for you, are they, are they an extension of your voice? You know, are they saying if, if you're in court, like, are they advocating effectively on your behalf? You can do all those things without, and sometimes they're easier, just like Dustin was talking about. If there's not like a, a huge emotional investment, um, because emotion does start to cloud, can definitely cloud, um, you know, your rational side, um, and can make you do things, you know, emotion, emotion always makes us do things that we wouldn't otherwise do if we weren't feeling emotional. So I would say like, yeah, do you have a good, have, do you have a good feeling when you, when you're meeting with your Lord, do you feel like they're blowing you off? Like that's a, that's clearly a red flag, right? If they're just playing like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We got, don't worry. We got this. I pay your bill on the way out. You know, that's probably not a great a great relationship to be entering into. But beyond that, I mean, I think you can tell by, are you getting the level of service that you expect from somebody that you're paying like your lawyer? Yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll try and tell clients, you know, stuff gets on the back burner and, and it's, especially in family law, often we're dealing with kind of, you know, you have your five things that you're going to get done that day and maybe you get two or three of them done because something blows up and you got to deal with it. Right. And so I, I tell my clients sometimes, you know, the, the unfortunate thing for you is that you've got a pretty good routine going and, and you're a good stable client that, that, you know, trust me. And so you kind of get put on the back burner. And so I, in, in another way, I guess, of showing up caring and saying, you know, I'm sorry, it's taking longer and that's my fault and not, you know, just trying to brush that off saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm busy too bad. You just have to deal with that, you know, to acknowledge you want to get this done, acknowledge it's expensive, you know, time consuming, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's another way of showing you care to say like, Hey, you know, I, I realize I, I probably should have been a little quicker on the ball and getting back to you. And I'm sorry, no, I'm busy, but you know, you, you also deserve, you know, that kind of treatment too. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Heather? Well, I actually have a question for Kim, because I'm curious about what led her to ask that question. Cause like, I wonder if like, are you, are you sort of like, is that feedback you've heard from people that, they didn't feel cared about by their lawyer or is that something that you're thinking you'd like if you had to go through that or I guess I'm just curious. Well, I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you what led me to that in a quick second. Yeah. I think there are, 
Well, we know that there's different personality types that are attracted to others. I've done a ton of sales training in my life, and we're taught a lot about uh, different personalities and how you relate to them or whether you should even try or not. And I think that that goes the same thing. Like that's for sure on the financial services because you've got a recurring relationship with that person. But even so on the legal side, if you are... If you, if you feel a certain way about certain types of people, you're probably going to be more attracted to that. Like if somebody shows empathy and, and that resonates with you, you're going to go with the empathetic lawyer. If somebody is, is stone cold, they might be better, but in, in, in the relationship side of things, it's just not going to be a match. But the reason I was thinking about it is because I had a client not too long ago was asking about, uh, basically Kind of the same thing like how do i know you care about my money and and the answer is a little bit more like evans where being emotional while trading securities is not a good place to be <laughs> so, so for us, you know like like lots of people i know joke about how i'm dead inside because i don't cry at movies and stuff like that but, um, lots of like, people joke about how you're dead inside well, because I'm not an emotional person. And for me in, in my career choice, like it's a perfect match in terms of making good, reasonable rules-based decisions for my client's money. Even though I do care deeply for them, that is a really important component in my line of work. And I was kind of curious, like, I was just thinking. All right, kid, meet my, meet my, meet my. Well, <laughs> yeah, I could see like, yeah, I care about your money so much. I'm going to chase this trade to the bottom get you out of the absolute we'll, we'll get you out <laughs> <laughs> but i mean lawyers are all different types of people and i i, I think a, a lot of people who aren't lawyers wouldn't think too much i mean nobody has a playbook on divorce no one knows how to do it that's why it's scary and uncomfortable and you don't get the playbook until you meet with somebody or listen to our podcast or whatnot so i think like it's a scary process and people are trying to figure out who is the right match for them how they do this the best way possible without making too many mistakes and uh and just kind of feeling out uh, the the lawyers and and how they're different people and and they certainly are interacting as as a group, much more than many other professionals out there. Stockbrokers aren't aren't meeting with stockbrokers talking about like we don't share clients and are talking mm. about clients together. Accountants, that's a very independent world as well. They're not right. outside of you know when they get together for their wild parties. They're not usually meeting together with other accountants to talk about a, a, a you know a, a client that they share together. Family law is a very unique area where you guys are interacting all the time. And, and certainly it's a really important skill to be able to like learn how to get along with your colleagues that you're bumping into all the time. Plus learn to, to work with clients too. Like you guys are getting tested all the time. And I just like, that stresses me out your job. It just, it seems so. Uh, Thank you for noticing Kim. It's Thank so involved. You. Yeah. It's so involved. I I feel heard and acknowledged. Kim. I, I feel appreciated right now. Thank you, Kim. And I, you know, I think on that note, Kim, I mean, you'll see as a lawyer, uh, you know, referral will come in or someone will come in for a consultation and you'll be lawyer three or four or five of theirs on the phone. Red flag immediately. Um, particularly if I look at the other names and if it's, you know, Heather and Evan and, you know, some you know other people I know, I'd be like, okay, these are, good, reasonable people that aren't going to rip you off that are specialists. Now, why is that happening? Sometimes it, it is the fit. And, and I've had, you know, clients say it's not working anymore. We get 
you know, at the, the previous firm, we, you know, once every month or two, we would kind of pick our, our most difficult files and, uh, and say, let's, let's trade. What are you doing on this file? Well, I'm kind of stuck. I, you know, I'm just, this is where we're at. I can't make any headway on the other way. I'll say, well, what, did you try this? I'm like, oh man, I never thought of that, right? Just sometimes you need a fresh perspective. So the fact that somebody is on their second or third lawyer, especially if it's, you know, a file that's five years old is not unheard of, but certainly as the lawyer, like, okay, so why is that? Is, is it this client? Is it the other side? Is it that there's just, you know, every possible issue they could fight about in family law, they are fighting about. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that it's not just sort of, you know, um, lawyers sort of being colleagues and, and it's often that, you know, I, if, if I'm the fourth file and, and I see Heather was a previous lawyer, I would call her and say, you know, what am I dealing with here? Is this just need to be sort of pushed towards the end? We're just got one last thing to get there or, or, you know, are there, are there sort of, um, you know, other issues I need to know about, you know, I guess I, I'm giving out trade secrets here in some ways, but the, the line in our profession is, you know, the client is the enemy sometimes, right. Is that managing client expectations, getting them, you know, to understand why what you're saying is rational and can, and, and can work for you if, if, you know, if you just trust me. And so that's, you know, sometimes it just, just like where the two lawyers don't mesh well together, you know, you're, you're going to meet with a client and say like, I can't, I literally can't work with you. And, and so, you know, it, it's a, a job where, you know, clients can certainly fire lawyers, but sometimes lawyer fire, lawyers fire clients and say, you know, we were, we're done. Something's broke. We, we say the relationship is broken down. Right. And, and if the court's wondering, that's kind of what we say and just make it vague like that, the, the judge can probably read between the lines. Um, but, you know, sometimes we have to remove ourselves and say, you know, I don't think we can continue to work in, in that, in this role anymore. Yeah, because it is a relationship too, right? It's not just a contract. Um, yeah, I mean, right there in that phrase, right? The relationship is broken down. That sounds pretty. <laughs> that sounds pretty emotional and pretty like uh, on that soft level, right? It's not like well, they've violated a term of the contract between us, which sometimes is what it is. But, um, but yeah, I think it's yeah we. It, I think a lot of things are are true in that there's so much variability in personalities that finding that fit is is important, especially if you're going through something that's protracted. I mean, if you're getting a, doing two meetings and and getting some advice on an agreement that's already drafted, that's probably going to be less important than like Dustin has pointed out if there are issues of domestic violence, if there's really complicated things, if you're going to be working with this lawyer for years, I think those kinds of softer side personality things are probably going to be um, more important because um, yeah, it's the journey, not just the destination, right? That's right. How you get there is going to affect how you feel about the outcome too. And I think, you know, we have been focusing on litigation and I think that's just sort of natural because those are the protracted, you know, files where people are fighting about things. I mean, the only, not the only time, but one of the only times I think this would come up in, in sort of a more amicable setting is, you know, sometimes you'll get uh, uh, asked to do what's called independent legal advice or ILA to sort of sign off on an, an agreement for someone, you know, somebody else has drafted it. They need a lawyer to give them some, you know, an hour's worth of legal advice and sign the agreement. And I think, the only time where I might push a little bit is when, you know, you read this agreement and, and as an experienced lawyer, you spend 10 minutes and you're already like, okay, I don't like this agreement. This is, this is not even, you know, what the law would contemplate on, on sort of the bare facts here. Yeah. And the client's like, oh, I just want to sign. I just want to sign. I just want to sign. One lady was like, it was a prenup. It was just not great. And she's like, well, 
I'm getting married in Hawaii next week. And if I don't sign this, the wedding's off. And I'm like, okay, you know, we can, we can do this. And, and maybe against my legal advice, cause you know, it had to be done, but I, you know, that that's the only time I think this, that sort of relationship on, on sort of a real quick basis is I'm seeing some red flags here. Closure is important, but when you're like, I need to sign, I need to sign, I need to sign. Okay. Well, you know, let's talk about why that needs to happen. But, but otherwise, yeah, I think it's these litigation files that, and, and, and some very good, very experienced family lawyers say, you know, I want to get out of the litigation stream. Heather, you might be one of them and get into a more sort of, uh, you know, uh, sort of fulfilling, less stressful, you know, grind than litigation. Cause it's, you, it, it is, it is a grind and it, it's, uh, uh, disappointing and stressful. Sometimes it's exciting. Sometimes it's entertaining, but it's, you know, it, it, as a lawyer, it, it does take a toll on you as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess I'm curious, Kim, too, about like, like I was thinking too, that like there's, and it's something I've maybe struggled or have tried to balance throughout my career and still am trying to find the sweet spot, but um you know, my job is rewarding and I love it because I get to meet with so many different people and have so many different interactions and find out so many stories and see how people tick. And that's really, um, and when I can help someone, um, especially if I've gotten to know them and I care about them, that's where the rewards for me come from personally, from my job. But I have to watch that line, too, of over-identifying or, um, you know, going down the road with them, like striking that empathy versus is sympathy the next one where, like, you don't want to (laughs) be, you want to acknowledge, you want to, you want, you want the person to hear that you see their situation, but you don't necessarily want to get in their shoes and walk down that road with them, right? So, yeah. In a way you want, like, isn't it a psychopath that can't feel empathy? Is that sociopath? I think. Or yeah. 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 That's, I mean, theoretically a sociopath could be a great lawyer, uh, you know, but I think you touched on it too, Kim, right? That um, relationships are complex and, and you've got to find a good fit and not everyone's going to be a good fit. They could be a fantastic lawyer, but not a fantastic lawyer for you. Yeah. There's, a, there's a YouTube series on a woman who's a psychopath and she talks about, she's a lawyer and she talks about her life very matter of factly and how she gets through things and how she does her job. It's actually quite fascinating <laughs> to listen to. And you can see why lawyers, like why psychopaths would be attracted to the law and, and excel in that area. <laughs> sure. You have, you know, you have control uh, over people. You have that, that sort of, that, fiduciary relationship where you have control you, you can tell a person what to do and, and that they'll follow your advice I, I, I can see that for sure you don't get upset you don't get upset if somebody doesn't like you it's just a very calm place to be in your brain i think right as long as a yeah. psychopath is ethical i think there's you know there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> Yeah, we can pick up the sword. Well, yeah, there's that joke about I think what is it? Middle managers have a lot of the same psychological characteristics as sociopaths. So I mean, it's <laughs> right. They're, they're out there. I, mean, I don't want to watch this this YouTube series. I don't want anything to hit too close to home. There. Oh, that's why I'm so detached. Okay, it's not not Jedi at all. It's <laughs> it's much worse than that. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and Justin, I don't, I, I think what I described you at the beginning is like chill and calm. I don't think you're calm in that sort of uncaring kind of way. I think you are, um, you know, a good advocate for your clients, but without getting overly emotional or angry or, you know, falling into aggressiveness or any of those kinds of things when it's not necessary. One of the high points of my legal career is that right before my wife was going to go into labor and I had to make an application, I just told the judge, like, look, sir, I'm a little rattled today. Uh, you know, my wife's about to you know, give birth. And so sorry if I'm kind of, you know, not as coherent as I usually am. He's like, oh, Kachuk, you're usually the most unflappable guy in the courthouse. And I'm like, really? I, thank you. I'll never forget that. Yeah. <laughs> but it, actually, I was going to ask, I, I guess, particularly uh, Evan and, and Heather as, as lawyers, um, what gets you rattled? We talked, you know, sort of about uh, what what is difficult for clients emotionally, and we talked about lawyers. Uh, uh, you know, those those lawyers you're just going to bash heads with. We know, you know, whoever's on that list, you know, it's going to be a, a fight. But I, I guess what else is uh, in terms of staying cool as a lawyer? What what sort of rattles you? Oh, it's a great question. Allow me to answer your question with a question. It depends on the day. I'm going to think about it for a minute. <laughs> okay, Evan, you can think about it. I, I know. I know already. Yeah, I've always, all my life, I've had, a, I've had uh, adverse reaction to bullies. So, and I've never been a very big guy. I'm pretty slight of build, although I'm six feet tall. But you know, growing up as a little kid, it's, um, you know, um, a talent for getting under people's skin, and uh, if. If people, if I was ever bullied, um, usually I ended up fighting them when I was a kid. I got in a lot of fights as a little kid, which is funny because I'm, I'm not that way at all as an adult, but I, uh, I was very quick to, to start throwing punches, I guess. But so it's still that bullying type of behavior still is the thing that I have to check my emotions on. And, you know, most of the time I'm, successful at doing that and like, you know, talking my client down. Cause if they're, if I'm upset about the bullying, my client, it's like way worse. My client, right. Feel totally insulted and upset about it. And, you know, I have to talk them down and that probably helps me as well. Having to talk my client down, uh, you know, also helps me deal with it. Like, look, I know they're like, that was totally unnecessary, but just look through, cut through all that garbage and really at the heart of it, where here's the issue. And this is what they're saying. They just put a lot of garbage in there along with it. Um, but that's the, that's the, I think that's the, the biggest, um, challenge for me when it comes to controlling my emotions is if there's a bully on the other side of the file, my instinct is to bring a bigger hammer, um. which by the way, is not like, that's not the solution. So, you know, on that point, I just thought of another thing that would set clients off, it, you know, it, besides the bullying is going back to trying to keep them on what's relevant, particularly when you're doing, you know, affidavits, written materials for court and the other side is throwing in, you know, uh, inflammatory, stuff. In, inflammatory stuff or here's three text messages and make me look real bad ignoring the other 5,000 that were all fine and so you know your client wants to blow their lid understandably it's purely inflammatory and we got we got to respond to this let's let's bring the a bigger hammer we, you know I've seen adult type photographs or things like that attached for almost no reason to affidavits and and you know as a lawyer we we know that we can apply to strike certain things and and sometimes you know you do that if it's egregious enough but that's that's another thing sort of setting clients off is well that's that's totally inflammatory and that's not true and and um 
you know, that that's something you have to kind of get them, guide them past too. And, 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 uh, the other thing that kind of comes up, um, in terms of, uh, that's not true is, you know, I tell clients starting out as a lawyer, you know, people swear an oath, I'll tell the truth, nothing but the truth, or, or they, they sort of that effect for their affidavit, you know, they're sworn under oath that they're telling the truth. And oh my gosh, people are lying under oath all the time. Oh no, this is perjury. It's perjury. Court, do something, right? And, and you know, the older I got, I was like, you know, but when you start to cross-examine them on it or you say, okay, you said this happened, but here's a, you know, a document I'm showing you that shows clearly the opposite with, you know, just facts, just, just facts, this, that didn't happen. And people were mostly confused and would just sort of oh, think. And, and he, mm. the more studies you read about memory and how we th- think the, you know, the lady was wearing a red dress when she stole my bike. Well, no, she wasn't. And it wasn't a lady, you know, that, that, and it just, I tell my clients, you're going to, you're going to see some things either on the stand or, or, or from them at a, a settlement meeting or in an affidavit that you think is lies. And I'm going to tell you, I think they probably think it's true. And that's really hard for people to understand. And it's hard for me to, I, I think I'm a, you know, rational observer. And so I'd be a great witness that, you know, if I saw something happen, but my memory is just as bad as, as everyone else's. So that's another thing in terms of client stress is we'll let they, he just lied about whatever the issue was. Okay. Like, I know you don't agree with what he said. It doesn't mean that, you know, that it is a lie. And, and so, and that's, I guess it's a lawyer too, that, that kind of thing, you know, gets you rattled too. Um, especially coming from another lawyer, if they're sort of, you know, misrepresenting something to the court is, you know, unethical um, and you don't want to lose your cool, mm-hmm. but you have to sort of tell the court, hold on here. Like, let's, let's look at what actually happened. My friend said this, that's not the case. And you got to be professional because uh, you don't want to make things worse, but that's, um, you know, that's an issue. I, I think about uh, in terms of getting rattled, uh, like quick timelines, you know, you got to file where you got court kind of the next day and like, I tend to be more stressed about that. I don't really know the file. Am I going to sound dumb in front of the judge? You know, maybe I don't have the exact ages of the kids and that kind of thing. So I don't, anybody have that kind of experience where you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't have time to, to do this properly. I'm, I'm going to fail somehow. Is that, that been on uh, your experience, Heather? Yeah, I think um, as I was thinking about this question um, and going through sort of the things that rattle me, I think it's not necessarily one action or thing. I think it's often if something comes in and it's unexpected or, yeah, imposes a quick turnaround or is it a time that I'm already very busy and, and stuff's going on and really at the bottom of my heart, if I could be working on everybody's file all at once and doing an excellent job for them, I would be, (laughs) right? Right. But you only have so many hands to juggle things at once. So if I'm already halfway through some document and I know I'm meeting with someone in 15 minutes and something else happens, and then I get an email that's like, alarm, alarm, they didn't pay the car insurance bill, right? And then uh, like, sometimes I can get, depending on the tenor of it too, sometimes I can get irritated. And I think, Dustin, what you said also reminds me too, is sometimes I'll read that email quickly. Oh, I mean, maybe it's not about car insurance, but something, right? Or maybe it's from the other lawyer that's like, your client hasn't right. done what they said they do. And da, 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 right. And sometimes in that moment, I can become so flooded and irritated um, and then come back to it 15 minutes later and realize, oh, that email didn't 
didn't even say what I thought it said, or it actually isn't in a snarky tone. It's because I'm already doing 19 things and that was number 20. So I think that's that for me, that's my personal, that's my personal thing that will set me over the edge most times, but all caps, also all caps emails <laughs> that does, that does get me too. So don't do that. Just don't. <laughs> Well, I know what I know what formatting I'm going to use from now on for my emails to you. Evan, don't you dare yell at me in an email. <laughs> yeah, you know, Dustin, I'm a firm believer too, and I'd like your uh, take on this is to see how you've seen this work out in the real world. Um, but I'm a firm believer that when you're, the other side is trying to inflame things and making inflammatory remarks that if my client's able to hold the line and cut through and be focused only on the relevant aspects mm-hmm. that, uh, that just makes them look so much better in the eyes of the court when it comes time to deal with things. Yeah. Yeah. Looking, you know, I, I, that, that phrase, you know, coming into court with clean hands, so to speak, I, I use that one a lot to sort of help clients understand so much of the law and family laws we know is really, um, kind of just arguing the facts. And if you look like the more reasonable person, then um, sometimes that goes a long way. I, I had a the client, uh, I was representing him in a restraining order and we were just in chambers. And, and you know, usually if there's disagreement, as we know, the court will say, well, I, I've just read these these brief papers. I can't make a decision. Let's set it down for a trial. And like, and I, you know, you tell your client, you just go in there, you just look at the judge, just, you know, don't, don't, you know, gasp or cry or groan if something doesn't go your way just kind of look composed and he was just sitting there glaring at the other party <laughs> and the judge is like i'm confirming this for a year i'm like what like are we supposed to have a trial and she's like no i can i can tell just from your client's own demeanor mr kachuk that he's you know uh a danger and a threat to this person because he's glaring at her in open court and, and is just you know staring at her and so you know that can really make a difference with the judge or, or you know if, if you're in a trial you know you're always sort of prepping your client you're again going back you're going to hear stuff that you don't like don't sit there, oh, roll your eyes or lean back in your chair or, oh, or toss your pen because and and as lawyers, we want to do that sometimes too. You're the lawyer on the other side's making a point and, and taking maybe 20 minutes to make the point when it could have been done in 30 seconds. You want to kind of just start tapping your pen. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> just stay calm. I've got a question about lawyer relationships with their clients. I, we haven't talked about. We don't sleep with our clients, Kim. We can't. <laughs> well, you can, but they can't be your clients anymore. <laughs> Do you guys have these odd scenarios where sometimes you maybe almost feel like you're a parent to your client where you're, you know, you're proud of them in some moments and just completely like disgusted with them and others or like having to nag them? Um, Like what kind of relationship are people looking for? What, like what's the ultimate like style of relationship you should aim for with like lawyer client? That's a good question. It, it's still supposed to be, I think, professional. We are professionals. Um, you can go see, a, you know, a dermatologist who's a specialist and you can get along with them, but it's not that you'd expect to kind of be best friends. You're there for sort of a particular service. So I think, again, as we've said, family law is different. It's its own unique sort of beast, so to speak. And, and I think there's a greater level of, of sort of um, 
maybe trust and advice that has to kind of come in than if you're dealing with a lawyer for, uh, I don't know, like a, just a corporate, you want to make a number of company, very straightforward transaction. You can still get along with that lawyer, but the, the advice and the transaction and completing that, that, um, that legal matter is a lot more sort of factual. So I don't, I, I think if you're, I'm going to have to think about that one. If you're getting to the point where you feel like a parent, that's probably not a good sign because uh, either you're getting too emotionally invested or, or something's gone off track enough that uh, maybe you're getting some compassion fatigue and you're starting to get irritated at your teenage <laughs> teenage kid client, so, you know, so to speak, that they're acting like a teenager or whatever. So that's that's a really good point. I haven't really uh, I'll have to sort of think about it and, and, and give a better answer some other time. But I, what's what's sort of timbre are you looking for in your relationship with your client i guess i would say you know professional cordial warm even you know uh there's that what was the you know divorce movie with adam driver where he you know tells ellen alda when am i paying you 500 dollars for that stupid joke or whatever and it's like i get it because you're spending money on the lawyer and you don't want to sit there chatting you know your life away that you're, you're paying for but you also need to build up that rapport because they need to trust you and and, and believe that that uh, you know that you're working for them that's a long way of saying i don't know uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, I think Kim, um, I would agree with us in that the parent child analogy, like if you're there, I think it's probably not a great, it's not great. I, I can't think of any clients where I have that type of a relationship with, like, certainly sometimes my clients will do things that I've told them not to do. And, and if it's egregious enough or something that's like kind of a core part of my advice and strategy, then that's enough to end the relationship. But most of the time it's just like, well, okay. I mean, you did that. And then I told you what would happen and now it's happening, but it like, <laughs> you know, I just kind of sigh and okay. That's, and that's what we're doing now. You know, I, I think the relationship tends to be more collaborative. Um, I think that's the best way because like, I can't make, I'm not making the decisions for them you know, except for things maybe about court procedure, because that's my job, but like, um, the decisions about whether or not to accept an offer or things like that. Like I am agnostic about what they choose to do. They can choose a terrible, they can choose to accept a terrible deal as long. And I will, I will, uh, sign the certificate of independent legal advice and, and help get it done as long as They've heard my advice. They understand the consequences. and I'm satisfied. They understand the consequences. They can agree with, they can do whatever they want. So, um, yeah, that's how I, I look at it more like the ideal is a situation where they trust me and they, but they feel like I understand them and I understand, you know, I feel like I understand them and, uh, it's a collaborative relationship. I'm doing things that they can't or don't want to do. Um, but ultimately they're the ones making the decisions about what they're going to accept because it's their life. I don't know, Heather. Yeah. I, I think Evan, I was thinking of something right along those same lines is that it's important to not be making those decisions and make it clear that they're the ones that have to continue to make decisions about their life. Right. So you're there to offer them advice, which is options in their situation and what might happen if they choose those options. Um, but it's up to them to weigh those consequences and to decide what to do. Um, so that, I don't know, whatever that but Heather, what would you do? ends up looking like a trusted advisor or yeah. I can't decide. Tell me what to do. And, yeah. You know, on that point, because Evan mentioned independent legal advice and that's, you know, what's funny is that the lawyers would say, yeah, let's, let's let our, our 
clients be adults because they are adults most of the time and, and they can make adult decisions. They do many other adult decisions in the world. And it's, it's funnily enough that the courts sometimes sort of make us be so heavy handed with them that it is almost to the point of a parent child relationship where it's like, okay, look, yeah, I agree with that. But, you know, if it, unless it's sort of beyond the pale and totally unconscionable, you know, you're an adult, you can choose to sign this against my legal advice and that's fine. And we do that. Let, let's let our clients be adults. But sometimes it's, I, you know, I tell clients, yeah, your, your separation agreement is 42 pages long. It could probably be 10 pages long. And in some ways those, you know, those bulletproofing provisions are, are really more for the lawyers than they are for the clients because mm -hmm. we're, you know, the, the standard we have to get to now to, to confirm they're doing this voluntarily, like, okay, you know, do I have to, you know, give you more recent precedents, you know, that, that of the Supreme Court that, that to, to make sure that the clients read the actual decision to, that they're doing this voluntarily? No, it's, that's a ridiculous standard, but it's, uh, that's not how lawyers operate, but sometimes it seems that the courts want us to, to get to that level where you're, you're almost the parent. They force us. They force us to do it against our will. That's right. I'm sorry I have to do this, but legally. <laughs> there are parents is how it works, basically. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the five or six pages on the spells of support waiver. Uh, I can summarize those pretty quickly for the client. But, you know, I'm like, over the next five pages, this is what we're going to say in every way possible. <laughs> no spells of support. This can be paid by anyone, no matter what. And they get that. Right. And they understand that concept, right? You don't have to explain the principles of Miglin, but I mean, that's for the average listener. They'll be like, what is Kachuk talking about now? And just a, just a private gripe of mine. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I have one more question. Kim, did you have anything else on that topic or any other questions? I don't know if this is maybe an idea for a future episode, but Dustin slid in something at the beginning that we haven't talked about on this program, I don't think, which was financial abuse. And I wonder if that's like a topic that we would do a podcast on. We should for sure. Right yeah, together. I don't know about what he was referring to. I, I've got an idea, but I don't really know. And uh, I think maybe we can have Dustin back if he's open to it, to come and talk about financial abuse as it relates. I'd love to come back. Yeah, this has been a blast. I've, I've had a great time. Yeah. I'd like yeah. to talk more than I thought, I guess. But I, <laughs> And, and yeah. I just as, as sort of a short snapper, Kim, I guess the reason I brought it up in the context of sort of what, what we call family violence and because uh, that's what the, the statute says before in the divorce act and even in in alberta's kind of provincial uh legislation that deals with family violence it was mostly focused on what people think about with violence actual physical violence threats of violence abuse that kind of thing and so it, and, and the divorce act had been sitting there since 1982 or whatever it was and hadn't been updated and so when these new updates came out they said well family violence could be all the usual suspects that people think about but it could include things like financial abuse what does that mean well it's new enough that i don't I, i'm not aware off the top of my head of any kind of judgments where a court says this is what we consider to, to be a definition of financial abuse but in many of our files i would say at the very least uh, one of the partners tends to be a bit, you know, looser with the purse strings, and, and the other partner does. One person's more financially responsible, or, 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 or maybe more just sort of detailed in some ways, and, and that's fine. And lots of relationships can can function like that. But there, sometimes there's, um, you know, cases where it gets to the point of, you know, I'm I'm holding the the debit card and the credit card. You don't get that unless you know something happens. You know, that's inappropriate, and 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 just sort of that kind of control is sort of usually what they mean or, or sort of taking away funds, using it for themselves and, and the family suffers because the one person, you know, is, is kind of controlling that. So that's 
um, something that certainly has been in, in, in marriages and divorces since the beginning of time. But now for the first time, you know, that's in our divorce act across Canada. That this is now a factor for the court to, you know, to consider when they're, when they're uh, making decisions about uh, uh, these issues now. And so that's something as lawyers, we have to kind of grapple with and say, okay, is this something when we talked about things that were relevant and not relevant? Well, before I would have to tell them, well, is this really strictly relevant for the issues we're talking about? Not really, but now, well, maybe, maybe it is now. Right. So there's, there's been a shift there and that's, I think that'd be, that'd be a good podcast. Mm-hmm. That would be a really interesting topic. Okay. Well, you're on Heather's hit list now, Dustin, again, back on the hit list. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy to be on the hit list. <laughs> um, I was going to ask if you um, have any tips for clients to keep their stress level down. So like, I have, I've, I jotted down two tips that um, I've suggested to clients in the past. And one of them is more in their interactions with their ex, if they're finding that stressful, to set up a separate email account, um, you know, uh, whatever, me at gmail.com that's separate from the one you normally use to communicate with your former spouse or your ex so that it's not popping up in your inbox when you're out having a nice dinner or grocery shopping or whatever, right? If you, you can check it once in a day at a time when you're ready, you're not going to be surprised by that email that's popping up unexpectedly. Um, and I also jotted down, if you have that other, that lawyer on the other side that you don't get a lot of choice about, and maybe when they send an affidavit or they they send a letter, it sends your client through the roof every time, you could ask your lawyer, can you vet the correspondence and just tell me what what it's about? Um, you know, I mean, you have a right to read that correspondence as a client, but if it's, if, if it's sending your blood pressure through the roof, maybe you ask your lawyer to just tell you what the important bits are that you need to respond to. Um, any other like practical tips that either of you use for clients to help them through that kind of stuff? I think those are excellent tips. I think the communication is a big thing now, especially we on our phones 24 seven, as you said. And so sometimes those guidelines are just saying like, even and unless they're really amicable and we, and we know some people fight about certain things, but overall they can yeah. still, you know, especially with children, they can still be co-parents and that those files, you know, tend to work fairly well. But if, if it's, if the communication is always, you know, text messages starting to blow up back and forth, um, you know, limit the communication one email per day, other party will respond within 24 hours. If there's something emergent coming up, then you can call or text. But let's just keep it like that to keep the you know the the white noise kind of down on on the communications here. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of lawyer and client, um, you know, in my retainer letter, I like to sort of set out and say like, look, we're busy. Here's how court works. Uh, we got lots of stuff going on. We're, we will we're listening to you. You know, but understand it might take us some time to get back to you. Um, you know, don't send us 15 kind of one-line emails. Think about all the things that you, you know, you want to cover with us. Send it in one email and we'll kind of get back to you in, you know, 24 to 48 hours unless it's, you know, really emergent. Sort of, so setting client expectations, I guess, for communications between themselves and the other party, but also lawyer clients say like, yeah, I'll get back to you. It might not be, you know, I, I might not be able to pick up the phone right now because I'm, you know, on a podcast, but I'll get back to you, you know, right after that kind of thing. So I think that can help the client understand um, you have other files that you have to work on. As you say, either I'd, I'd like to work on everything simultaneously, but you can't. And there's a little bit of sort of prioritizing. Um, I, I think that helps. Um, and then, um, 
I think explaining the court process. Sometimes I forget, right? Because this is my job. And it's kind of like when you go, I don't know, hang out with a bunch of doctors and they're speaking in essentially a different language. <laughs> you know, we, we get accused of, you know, of, of legalese and, and, and Latin use and all that kind of stuff. But really anybody in, in, in a job, you start to use your, your acronyms and things like that. And, and you forget, oh, wait, I'm talking to people who might not know what's going on here. So I've, over the years, I've really tried to go through the, the process, sometimes even, you know, doing like a little flow chart so people understand what is Chambers, what is what is this, what is going on, what's going to happen. So this is the final order? Oh, no, no, no. This is just the first order. It'll probably last us for three months until we get to the next place. And so I think the stress comes down when you explain the overall process to them as well, because it's um, some people uh, surprisingly seem to know quite a bit and, and get it really quickly. But a lot of clients uh, really don't don't understand what, what does a judge decide? Is it final? What, what happens next? And so um, that's, and that's a stressful thing. I don't know when this ends, what, what happens now, what happens next, you know? So. I, I really like the, the second tip that you gave Heather. That, I think that's fantastic. Um, um, I, you know, I've told them, I've told clients, you know, before you hit send, you know, just maybe don't <laughs> come back to it later, read it again, delete it and send something that was, that's, you know, less filled with emotion. And I do, I do a lot of, I do have a fair number of um, clients where our relationship is like limited scope or legal coaching. So that's where I'm not representing them for everything. They are in charge of communication between them and the other party or the other lawyer. And so you know, for those clients, especially I, I, I try to encourage them to keep their emotions out of it as much as possible. Get somebody else to trust, you know, your new partner to read it. And although that may sometimes not be helpful and sometimes the advice is, okay, your new partner needs to be not involved in any communication with your old partner whatsoever. I know like everyone knows he or she's writing the texts for you. That's got to stop. Although sometimes, sometimes that is better. Yeah, yeah. Is that, <laughs> Once in a while, it's one or the other. Yeah, that's right. Depends on the situation. <laughs> Either it's the absolute worst or it's uh, the only solution. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's about it. I mean, it's it can be tough. Everyone can understand it. It's easy to explain. Like, yeah, when this happens, it triggers you and you get really upset, and that's totally understandable. Um, just don't get upset, right? Yeah, I can understand that, but I can't, that doesn't mean you can necessarily just not be upset about it. And so I think that's, uh, you know, and we have tools like, uh, the, the parenting apps for phones that, that sometimes can help with that. I mean, and the thing is, it's, I don't think it actually helps with the communication. It just records it all. So it provides like a different incentive, like, okay, you want to send that dumb text? It's like, it can be produced record very easily. Are you sure you want to? Like that text is forever. Uh, yeah, I had a I had a really really terrible high conflict file years ago, and it got sweet. We're in case management, which means that every time we went to court, we go see the same judge. And he got so tired of the party's little snippy text back and forth, he did what he called a swear jar clause in the order, so that we'd come back in three months' time, and he told me, "Kachuk, you're going to print every single one of these texts these guys send to each other. Every time they curse each other, they're inappropriate. It's going to be fifty bucks a shot." And you know, you could tell the party's faces like, "What?" And he's like, you're, you're, you're being 
both so ridiculous. You know, a file where they've both been, you know, uh, thrown in the can by the RCMP for, you know, not following parenting orders and just completely ignorant and, and ridiculous. And that, that's kind of how bad it can get with this communication. You get fired up and, and that's understandable. And the other interesting thing, I guess, that I'll, I'll just sort of mention the, on the other side in terms of sort of that relevance for the client and inflammatory stuff, there's stuff that's very obviously inflammatory to anybody, um, you know, who, who, who sees it. You know, when you're posting nude photos of your ex with, you know, someone else just to essentially irritate them, we all get that. But there's sometimes where, where and, and Kim, you talked about sort of caring for the client and, and they'll say, look at these texts, Dustin, look, look at these texts. They're terrible. And I'll look at them like, yeah, okay, you guys are disagreeing about hockey skates or whatever. And they're like, well, this is, he's just pushing my buttons here. And I'm like, okay, I don't see it. I got to tell you. It looks like you guys are getting on each other's nerves a bit, but this is not like blow up the planet kind of, you know, escalation here. And, mm-hmm. and it's hard. To, you've got to tell clients sometimes, you know, I don't get the history here. I know this is probably the same conversation you guys have had 25,000 times. And now you're just losing your mind because, you know, they're doing it on purpose. But that's the other thing to try and get across to the client. Sometimes keep in mind a judge who doesn't know you, doesn't know the other party, probably knows me, probably knows the other lawyer is going to have to read this and understand at a real quick glance why this is bad. And that's hard for people to hear sometimes because it is, they're not making up the frustration, but it's hard to, to get across sometimes. Well, the worst is when you read the exchange and you're like, oh, you, my client, are the unreasonable one. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Don't you see how unreasonable they're being? <laughs> Mm. actually they're coming across pretty rational mm. uh, yeah. one half is un- irrational but it's not it's not that person mm-hmm. um yeah i i don't think this is a piece of it, this is a piece of advice i've given to folks before and i don't know how often they've followed through on it but i i sometimes also point out that like even if we get to a trial about parenting and you win you've still got a con- continuing relationship with this yeah. person and you still need to communicate with them. So if you've got this horrible pattern of communication right now, um, then, you know, it, it probably will serve you well to either go and improve your communication skills or improve some skills on how to react emotionally when you receive communication so that it isn't a trigger for rage every time, um, you know, your phone bings and it's a message from them. So, you know, that, I think that's, again, I don't know how often that advice is followed, but, um, that would be my wish. (laughs) And on on that point, you know, I think it's good for, for the listeners to understand we all, the judges and lawyers, we all know that the troubles that family law has in the justice system. And so that there's a real diversion now towards mediation, towards collaborative law. Uh, sometimes if you have to fight, it's to go to arbitration because you can get a family law lawyer to, you know, do be the arbitrator and, and get a quick, well-reasoned decision, you know, in, in a quarter of the time and, and a quarter of the cost and you would to go to a trial. And, but, but also beyond sort of court and lawyer services, a real push to, you know, go to therapy and go to, you know, some counseling. And and because we know these people have, particularly where there's children, long-term, you know, ongoing relationship, you know, the idea is that you both sit at the same table for your kids, you know, grade 12 graduation, or at least you can both be in the in the building together, if not at the same table. And, and so that's kind of the push here is let's not fight if we don't have to. And if you guys are still fighting, then, then the two of you might be the issue. And let's, you know, push you away from the litigation stream into, you know, maybe working on those 
communication issues that are really driving what's going on here. You both can parent your kids. We get that. But you can't talk to each other. We need to figure that out, right? And the judge can't do that. The lawyers can't do that. You need to kind of get some some professional help from a, a different source. I have a file that I've yeah. been just trying so hard to put onto Greg Pickering's plate. We've had Greg on here before. Uh, I've been trying so hard. And my client's all for it. I'm just like... You like you guys both clearly love your child very like there's no doubt about that you're both doing your best to be good parents but you can't like they cannot communicate it's just impossible yeah. and like i'm the wrong person to be helping you with this like it's just you, you're paying too much and, and getting like a terrible result and not because the result itself is necessarily terrible but it's just like the court is not gonna help you fix the fundamental problem which is the parents need to be able to work together to figure it out. And so that's, that's a frustrating thing when, uh, you know, the only thing you can force somebody else to do, cause you said you, you brought up arbitration is a good example, Dustin. And, and, and instead of court, like, absolutely, but you can't force someone into arbitration and you can't force someone to use a parenting coordinator. Um, and that ironically, the, the response that I was getting from the other side is they can't, they, they can't afford to pay for a parenting coordinator. I'm like, they can afford to pay you, but they can't afford to pay a parenting coordinator. I, I, you're blowing my mind. Um, but there's lots of tools out there besides lawyers and, um, and the court. And usually any of the other tools are going to be better when it comes to like figuring out the nuances of parenting disagreements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Communication, communication misfires, all of those kinds of things. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, some of our some of our clients can certainly be as bad as I don't know, trying to argue on Twitter or something like that. It just gets gets out of control real quick. So, Heather, we exhausted your list of questions and things you wanted to milk out of Dustin's mind. For today, I mean, yes, I have a whole other subset of questions, I think, but I think <laughs> I think that's been wonderful, uh, some wonderful tips and comments and um, a great discussion today. Kim, did you have anything else? Well, I have a third episode I want Dustin to come back on now. I, I, I could sense that you were you were sitting on something there. <laughs> So everybody's calling me trying to figure out the process of divorce and and we've done what 44 episodes and we still like lawyers don't seem to want to dig into the process and then Dustin just magically comes out with he's got a flow chart and he knows the process and I'm thinking like this is what people contacting me are trying to figure out and I want him back for a third episode. <laughs> The flow chart. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm a little offended, Kim, because one of our first episodes was like, I think it was how much does it cost to get divorced? I'm pretty sure we went through process. We just, there's lots of different streams to get a divorce. But not, not so much as like the main like mediation, collaborative, whatever. Dustin went into a, a level of detail that is like, he almost used to work in like mega project management in the construction space. Like, like what he kind of dipped into is not what I don't think what we've got got so far. Anyway. My wife would my wife would be like, "What? That's he's my, he's a totally different person at home, apparently." Okay, <laughs> hey, let's get that flowchart we'll on the episode. We'll, we'll find out if if I'm if I'm wrong and I just forgot. But anyways, that's, that's not a bad that. idea. Yeah. Okay. So kind of court court procedures. What does it look like? Uh, what's the end point? What are the sort of uh, you know middle steps? Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, here's a quick. 
quite like step oriented. And this is like, people are looking for this information. So anyways, uh, we might've dipped into that in, in past episodes, but I just, I kind of think what you were going on there was a level of detail we haven't got to yet, but uh, uh, it was a pleasure to have you on the program, Dustin. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. It was great to see you. Thanks for joining us. What's our tagline? That's the way the cookie crumbles or? (laughs) (laughs) Any information in this video is general information only and is not, nor is it intended to be legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Malarick Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, RJFE, a subsidiary of Raymond James Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. When providing life insurance products, financial advisors are acting as insurance representatives of RJFP. Darkness of the dales dissipates, declines because of he who turned water.